0: Welcome everyone to a brand new episode of Tips with Salsa, talk tips and tales from the nonprofit community. I'm Ben Lyon with Salsa Labs, and as always, thanks for joining us. So I think we should just get right into it and introduce Jer Tonti, uh, Salsa Labs Creative Director. Welcome to the podcast, Jer.
1: Hi, Ben. How are you today?
0: Very good. Very good. So as I understand it, you had the opportunity to chat with one of our favorite partners at Web Mechanics and their Creative Director, Bart Hurd. Why don't you tee that up for us a little bit? You know, tell us a little bit about what Web Mechanics does and, and you know, what to expect in the conversation.
1: Yeah, we've been using Web Mechanics for years. They help us with their ad campaigns. Web Mechanics is a full-service digital marketing agency. They do conversion optimization, PPC management, email marketing, the whole gamut. Bart and I had a great conversation. Sometimes I wonder if we were separated at birth because we have so many common interests. <laughs> but uh, no, he's a really creative guy. We talked about what creative directors do and how we can help nonprofits who often don't have a creative director on staff.
0: Very cool. Very cool. So, full disclosure for everybody listening, Web Mechanics and Salsa Labs actually uh, work together a little bit. Web Mechanics helps us with some of our own campaigns. So, obviously, that's a, a team of folks over there that we think really has uh, their game together. Uh, why don't we jump in and, and see how it goes?
1: Today, we are excited to be talking about the role that creatives play in an organization and what to think about if you are an organization without a creative on staff. Joining me today is Bart Hurd. He is the Group Creative Director at Web Mechanics. Hi, Bart, how are you today?
2: Hi, Jared, good. It's good to be here, appreciate you having me.
1: So today we're talking a bit about the creative process and what roles creatives play in an organization. We've worked with you guys for a long time, and I thought I'd let you tell everybody what Web Mechanics is
2: and uh, you know what you do. Sure, uh, so Web Mechanics, on paper is listed as a full-service digital uh, agency. We started as an SEO PPC agency, so our you know our, our company is very heavily rooted in that practice. Uh, we are consumers of and purveyors of data, and that's very important to the process we do. Uh, starting as a PPC agency and an SEO agency, those things are really important. As we grew, we became uh, a more web-friendly agency. We pulled. They pull together a a development portion and we have a development group. And then the last piece that we added, uh, we had a single creative here and then I came on about three years ago to build a creative group and we have a pretty robust creative department. So from top to bottom, uh, whatever marketing needs a particular client has, we're here to help them. So if all you need to do is your paid programs in Google or Facebook, we can do that. Uh, if you need a redesign, we can do that, or we can handle, uh, we've actually done some branding recently. So everything from, you know, from just the Google ads all the way up to a full brand engagement, we're, uh, we're able to help.
1: Great. Thank you.
2: So I also wanted to talk to people about
1: what a creative director does. So sometimes, you know, it's hard to describe our job and and what we actually do. But if you want to go first and then I can, you know, chime
2: in and give my, my thoughts too. Sure. I, you know, Mad Men helped a lot and I had to explain to people, they say, what is it? What's creative director? And I said, did you see Mad Men? It's like, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. So, do you know Don Draper, yes. So I was like, we're, we're just like that without the philandry, the cigarettes, the alcoholism, the sexism, verbal abuse of our teams. Um, <laughs> but that's really And I came from the art director animator path, so I'm not a writer. But uh, that's what we do. Uh, but in reality, you know what our job is, is to flow the work through the department to ensure that the work that the department is producing, that our art directors and copywriters and designers and UX personnel, UX designers are doing is to the highest standards of the the client's brand, to the highest standards of our brand, uh, and then to push people to do their best work, really. Uh, As a creative director, in my experience, I came out of a brand agency, uh, J. Walser Thompson in Chicago. And from there, the the earliest thing that I learned was uh, strategy gives you the thinking you need to create solutions uh, to problems that are unexpected, right? To, so we, uh, the idea is that we need to create thinking and create work that causes people to think about uh, a solution to a problem in a different way. And as a creative director, then that's what I've always seen my job, remove hurdles from my staff so they can give that best thinking and create that best work. Right. Yeah. You and I talked a little
1: bit about this before. You know, I think a lot of our job is to uh, I I view it as as a constant puzzle, right? Solving puzzles and and solutions, coming up with solutions to things that are complicated, but sometimes not everyone is aware of or, or thinks about, you know, like what's the best way to navigate an interface? You know, what is the best solution for a particular advertisement and things like that? So I think it's our job to do the research, do the creative thinking behind all of that. And then you have a staff on hand that you can kind of, you know, give different pieces of the puzzle to, you know, to help in the process. I also see it as
2: you, you need to be the head inspirer, right? So that you need to, as the creative director, you always want to lead that charge and, and ensure that people know that you've got their backs, to ensure that. You are are asking them for the best ideas. There's nothing a creative hates worse, I think, than a creative director just nods at everything they do, right? They, clearly, no one wants the fight, but I, I think in my experience, uh, the majority of creative teams I have worked with want you to ask the best of them, but they also want to be inspired by you. So you need to bring energy to the group. You need to bring positivity to the group uh and you need to bring structure to the group sometimes so i think that's another role of creative directors that you may not see i, I see and i don't want to trash my fellow design creative directors but uh, you see designers focus very heavily on design and sometimes not think about conceptual thinking or thinking about what the copywriters want to say and thinking about broadening the idea And i think in my past focusing too heavily on the details and not looking at the broad nature of the idea has been the downfall of many of the creative directors, right? Those who can expand upon a simple idea do much better. There's the old light bulb joke, which I love. How many creative directors does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is, does it have to be a light bulb? <laughs> <laughs> right. Going back to the solution and what what the best solution is.
1: Um. Yeah, you know, I've always equated it to there are bands and there are solo artists, and I always use the creative director is kind of like the person in the band that kind of maybe comes up with that that first vision, but everybody else under that creative director has input in the final product, you know. And I think a lot of my role is to uh, I have a fine art background and like you an animation background. So I've come from the same school, you know, and I I used to be a a big flash guy. And that's how I got into flash coding and and, and action script and things like that. So I think part of being a creative director is also being curious, being an artist, and you have that curiosity into different things and and how they work, what components make the the best solution to a project.
2: I think that all comes to play, you know, in being a creative person and a creative director. That's a really good point, too. I think there's a lot of There have been many times in my past where teams are are viewed as petulant. And in reality, asking why, why, why is not a bad thing for a creative. It's terrible when you're four and you ask why, 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 and you're irritating your parents. The parents are irritated because they don't know all the answers sometimes. But that why, why, why is what leads to your knowledge. And I think a good creative team that continues to say... Why are we doing it this way? Why? Why does the audience want this? What is the problem? I don't think they're being petulant at all. I think they're being very responsible in asking questions because that they're seeking greater knowledge to give them greater insight to create a better solution. So, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Curiosity is a huge thing uh, that I expect from all my teams. So.
1: Yeah. And I think I
2: think, you know, being in this field, it fall everybody who is
1: a creative has that curiosity. I would think so. Yeah. You um, hope. That's why we do <laughs> that's why we do what we do, right? I mean <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, the other thing is uh that's hysterical that you bring that up because um I have a four year old who asks why, why, why all the time. And uh, <laughs> you know, you give the eye roll and the, you know, oh geez, another question,
2: another question. But I admire that curiosity. I've always loved, especially for four year olds, it's It's not just the why, but it's the why on why. Why is that cloud there? Well, because that's water vapor evaporates and and gathers in the sky. Why? Well, because that's the warm air. Why? So there, it just feels like an automated response. But in reality, most kids are continuing to drill down to understand why the sky is blue and why that cloud looks like a bunny rabbit. Never-ending why cycle. (laughs) Like you, I've been,
1: you know. Come from a corporate background with advertising. I've worked on animation pieces, uh, various ads. Then I went to salsa, working with nonprofits.
2: You know, most of our nonprofits don't have a creative director or a design team. Sure. Well, and it's expense too, right? Because I worked with nonprofits, and they they're just scrambling to keep the costs down so they can use all those donations to to fund the cause, right? So. Right, and they work yearly with uh, the budgets that they
1: have and you know their focus is on creating advocacy and, and and running events and
2: what do you think what do you think the role is that creatives can play for a nonprofit specifically? So I love the timing of this question because I was just looking for some quotes to keep my group inspired and I ran across a quote by Bill Burnback if you know who that is one of the fa- you know founding fathers of DDB, right? And burnback said his quote is, quote, all of us who are professionally or sorry, all of us who professionally use the mass media are the shaper of society. We can vulgarize that society. We can brutalize it or we can help lift it onto a higher level. End quote. And I love that quote because it does say that we have the ability to influence people's thinking, thinking about brands and about products and about society in general. And as a creative and advertising if we have the opportunity to unlock an emotion about a particular nonprofit or unlock uh, a feeling about something that no one had thought about before then it it brings them into a greater understanding of our world and i think that's a very high minded pursuit for creative team in an advertising agency but we do have the ability to do that so when we do that at our you know at the highest levels we create I believe a better society. I know that, you know, that sounds that sounds like a bit of puffery to to someone who says, "Well, there are people that sell cigarettes, or there are people that sell X and Y products." But but I do believe that nonprofits can benefit from that same thinking and that same shaping of individual ideas uh, from consumers. And I am I every time I get a chance to work for a great nonprofit, I get excited because. Uh, I've done that in my past, and when you see the results and you see how it's changed people's lives, it makes you feel a lot better about what you're doing as a creative director. Okay, great, great. When a creative director gets a project, what are the
1: first steps in that project? Where does your where does your mind go? What are, what are the does it go to research? Does it go to looking at current design trends? does it where what what is the starting point?
2: So I think for me, the first thing is the context of the project, right? Are we doing a single ad? Are we doing a website? Are we doing a campaign? Uh, All of those things need to be well-grounded in what is the problem. So everything we're doing as creative has to come up, as you said, has to be a solution. So it's, it's solving a problem. The first thing I want to see is, are we articulating to the group exactly what that problem is? So do I know enough about the problem do i know the audience well enough do i know what the audience wants well enough um, is this the right problem to be solving sometimes clients think they have one issue and when you do a little digging you find uh, a more uh, a, a deeper issue or a secondary issue that can affect the outcome of that project so for me it's ensuring that we have that and then vetting that with research so i would agree research is a huge part of my background so digging into that client's customers. I think that one thing we don't do enough of as an industry is understand customers better. You've seen it in, in my many years. I've been doing this for a while. But in the many years that I've done this, you will see advertising shift from I'm I'm talking to everybody to I'm talking to a 40-year-old uh, man who makes over 75000 to I'm talking to Dave, right? So that you see this this deep personalization going on because we're able to split our messages up, and I think that more we can understand the Daves of the world and understand what they want or what motivates them, then the more uh, pointed and more uh, exact our solutions are going to be. So really, it's going from it's going from understanding the problem to understanding the customer to uh, putting up research behind it to vet your thinking uh, as far as current trends, I think trends can be dangerous if they 're not vetted in the context of the of the problem right Well, we see a lot of people doing this kind of design we want to do this kind of design well, is that design right for this brand? Is that design right for this message is even that is even the medium we 're using right i 've seen Brands come to us and say, well, we need a Facebook campaign. And it's like, well, really, most of your, your customers engage your brand on mobile phones, so, and they're not really using social. So is, that really, is Facebook the best place for you to be? So I think in the context of trends, I always am looking for the platforms as well to make sure that the, where we're saying the message is as uh, well thought through as how we're saying mm-hmm. the message.
1: Yeah, I think pl- platform is a is a big uh, thing that I look at when I when I start a new project. You know, it's it's first of all, it's goals. You know, defining your goals sure, and absolutely. what you are actually trying to do. Then it's going into what's the best platform. What what are the best tools to use to create that project and and you know achieve those goals. Um, I do think that a lot of people do get bogged down in the tools. You know, when if they don't have a designer or a creative person on staff or somebody they can even pull in and work with, showing them where to find some of these resources and just, you know, learning a little bit more about the design, you know, and why you do things a certain way when it comes to designing a particular ad or whatever the piece is. And I think that's a that's a major part of the process is deciding what is the best tool for for the particular project. If I'm going to jump into something and I'm looking at two different you know tools to, to create something. And this tool is going to give me a hundred percent of what I want, okay? But it's going to take six to eight months longer, you know, to maybe code this thing out and put it on the, put it in digital format on the web. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm looking at another product that gives me ninety percent of what I want. But yeah, I, may, I might end up going with that 90% because in the long term of things, it's going to co- cost me a lot more to create something that's 100% what I want. And I could work with other things to find that remaining, that remaining 10%.
2: And there's also, you know, I, I work with some nonprofits, not all of them, but some nonprofits who get into a mindset of, uh, I don't want to call it primitive thinking, but it's the thinking that it worked for the last 20 years. It's, it's still going to work. And sometimes that's true, and sometimes that's absolutely not true. Um, I worked with an agency that was very direct mail centric. And so moving some of those clients into the social space was really difficult because they had had a certain level of success with direct mail and they were uncomfortable trying something new. But as when you think of a population of donors that has aged up and eventually will age out of this life, there are younger people who deal with media in a way that the older donors did not so direct mail may have been a great thing for the 80s through the 2000s but those kids who grew up from the 2000s up have a very digital centric lifestyle so ignoring that platform ignoring those tools could put a nonprofit profit at risk of not being able to to foment a new audience and, and bring that new audience into the donor cycle but I was thinking about you know the term
1: digital native, you know has been thrown around and this that's the group that has been kind of living with the technology that exists today without knowing what it was like before. So I think it's the Gen Z generation, but there's all of this technology that they have at their fingertips, but they don't know what has gone into building that technology. So it's a very user focused, you know, you're using all of this stuff, but you have no idea where it goes. You know, somebody, I remember when the cloud first came out, somebody said, you know, what, what is the cloud? Like where, where does it go? What does it, you know, when you upload something to the cloud,
2: what is that? You know, is it Like the cloud. Oh, you mean other people's computers, right? That's it literally, literally what the cloud is. It's right. like somebody just like tech stack. You know what our tech stack is robust it's like what is that do they have a rack of servers that are on top of each other right. <laughs> no no it's the number of tools that you use to to, to you know supply your technological solutions so I, I i will tell a funny story i don't know if this will make the podcast or not but I, I have to tell you so my wife is you know she wants to find a new job and there's the google certification program and so my 10 year old comes running into the room and goes dad dad His mom's thinking about taking the Google certification program. That's great, buddy. That's that'll be good. She's very smart. She should do that. He says, I'm going to race her. (laughs) I go, what do you mean? He's he's trying to get Google certified at 10. And I would I would think that that was impossible, but he just. The other day, I'm like, well, I've got to go to my phone to get my Instagram. He goes, no, dad, open it on your browser and then go and look and inspect. Then set your mobile, set it to mobile viewpoint and then use that URL. I'm like, you're 10. How do you know all this? (laughs) He literally showed me how to post an Instagram pic on my desktop. I was like, okay. all right. right." Who knows? We may see an 11-year-old Google certified child, but I just thought that was funny. He's, He's one of those kids that is so deeply engaged in technology that he'll say, Dad, I'm working on this game. I'm on Roblox, right? I don't know if we can talk about that, but I'm on Roblox and I'm creating these sets. And I go, well, are you cutting and pasting these from other people? He's like, no, no, look. And he opens this up and shows me a 3D application that's inside Roblox that is probably similar to early uh, 3D Studio Max, And he's building things from primitive at the age of 10. And I would never primitive have shapes, thought primitive shapes yeah. from, yeah. yeah, using shapes. So it's just, it's amazing how much they, again, that they already have at their fingertips and they dive right in. This is the thing that I love about kids too. And we talked about curiosity before. Uh, an older person will say, I don't know how to use this. I'm, I'm, this seems complicated. I don't know how to use this phone or, or this device. And a kid will start just pushing buttons. And start playing, and they'll start investigating, and they'll use that curiosity until they figure it out. So it's that lack of of I can't do this that makes them, I think, better at being digital natives. And that's that's a cool. I think it's one of the coolest things that's happening now with with little kids and
1: technology. You no, know, with the pandemic and and having a second grader and a fourth grader, yeah, I see. Sure. I see it every day. I mean. If anything has come out of this, my, my, my daughter, my fourth grader, well, actually both of them, are able to send their teachers emails. I mean, they, they have iPads now. They go into Gmail. If, if some app is not working, they, you know, they send Mrs. Carpenter an email. You know, and then she gets it and she replies to them. Anna's in second grade, my, my second grader. And she said um, there were some big words in, in that email. You know, and she doesn't even know how to spell some of these words. And she said, "Well, Danny, I just hit the voice recorder, and it records my voice, and it just types
2: the email, and it's that's you know you well, again. You brought up something else now that's keyed me something. The the voice interface stuff that is one of those things that has really radically changed how we interact with technology. And as marketers and advertisers, I think that's the next big field is figuring out how to interact with an audience that is talking one way to a device to get what it wants and still be able to hear the messages without being interruptive. Cause you know, I, I have a paid Spotify account and there's nothing more in, interrupted me than like in mid song or between songs, hearing a commercial. So I was like, here, just take my take my nine bucks a month so I don't have to ever hear that again. But, but then there's some poor marketer or advertiser out there who wants me to hear that message. And and as we're playing with Amazon's and Google's and and all the devices, you know, Cantera and Alexa, uh, I think it's interesting to see how that's going to shape what we do as creative. I do too, and that, that's a really good
1: point. The other thing is the constant um, Google ads, you know, and Facebook ads. You know, I t- I talked to somebody the other day, and they said, "Well, I never look at ads anyway. I don't. I don't look oh, at point,
2: it. Doesn't work right? on me." You know, and you have to wonder. Yeah. Yeah. Does it subconsciously work on you? I challenge you to do this because my media, one of my media buyers said this to me. They said, take a look at your feed, take a look at your feed and count how many sponsored posts there are. I'm like, what is it one in 10? And he said, no, it's one every third. It's almost every third post is a sponsored. Like there's no way. Oh my God. He's absolutely right. Like every third post. But the difference is, is that it's not, you know, look for, coats at men's warehouse it's like no no, here's another gaming thing that you love here's something else that you've shown interest in that feels organic but we're we're paying somebody to get that message to you so it's really interesting how they're using what we already do and interact with to to give us messages back that seem more relevant to us and don't feel like advertising and that's where i think the the field is going to go is that we're going to get to a point now. It's so funny how everything old is new again, right? In the 40s, cigarette ads and uh, cereals all showed up in the, in the shows. They didn't have commercial breaks. It was just like, try this new Post Toasties, honey. It's the best cereal ever. Gosh, mom, this tastes great. You know, so you saw that, and now we're seeing influencers do the same thing. We're seeing television shows where products are lifted up as content. So it's it's really funny to to watch that cycle happen again with new media. Yeah, the only di- the only difference is, is it's much
1: more tailored to an individual's specific tastes, right?
2: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I have a love and hate relationship with that, and I, part of me says, you know, <laughs> no, somebody ads Part of me has discovered so many things through these ads that I would have never discovered before, you know? I mean, it's based on your interests. How dare
2: you look so deeply into my, ooh, another Batman (laughs) product. It's It's always easy, I think, for people to say, ah, young people don't get it. Back in my day. I think it's easy for us to do that and to have that attitude I think, first of all, it's unfair as a creative director. You have to be open to everything, right? You just have to be willing to listen to music you didn't listen to before and look at uh, ways of interacting. I, I I won't lie. I always thought it was really funny that when, before COVID, we have a team of of younger, you know, we have a younger agency. I'm probably, though, one of the oldest guys in the agency. And one day at lunch, like we always eat lunch together. And we're very proud that, our team, if they bring lunch in, they'll sit down at the communal table and they'll all eat lunch. But I took a picture one day, and there were 17 people around the table, and 14 of them were on their on their mobile phones, and some of them were talking to each other. So it's just it's 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 funny to me because I'm like, well, why would you sit together at lunch? But that community of just being close, even when they're on their devices, having other bodies at the table was okay. They felt like that was community. And so I felt like I needed to be open to that. You know, slack is another thing where I have two people sitting, three spaces across from each other, and they'll slack each other instead of just say, "Hey, can you take a look at this?" It's slack, slack. Can you come over? And <laughs> so it, it's just it's a it's a different way to communicate. And I think as long as we're open to those new ideas, we'll do okay as as creative directors and creative talent. But but things are always going to change. They're always going to change. I'm sorry, I got off. rails there for a second
1: there are two rules i kind of live by as a as a creative right and the first is i'm never afraid to be a beginner which i think everybody you know everybody is a beginner at something at some point in their lives like i just recently i you know i took up skiing five years ago was the first time i went downhill skiing we got out there on the slopes um i forgot to mention that i did cross-country skiing previously not downhill skiing which is very different very different yeah. yeah yeah so when she asked me if I skied before I said yeah I skied And got out there and I said oh I don't like this at all I mean this is downhill it's slippery like I, do, I don't like this you know it's um but I I love it now you know and it's I think I think never being afraid to be a beginner is is key because you know you're always going to be able to try something new so that's one the other one is never lose your curiosity which we always talked about yeah, children have that you know when they're when they're sitting there and they're just hitting buttons they don't have you know they don't
2: have to think about it they're just doing it it's a courage too i think that's one thing that i would say is that courage is another one of those qualities that you have to have because if you're if you're a beginner and you're not afraid to be a beginner you're showing courage right you, you are you're being brave against all odds that say i might fail at this being afraid to fail i think is one of the worst behaviors for creative or for any agency. Everybody's got to be willing to fail because you learn when you fail and you get better when you fail. Completely agree. As a creative person, I'm I'm always open to
1: listen to feedback from other creatives. You know, I mean, we have a team at Salsa that like, is just great. Everybody is great at what they do, you know, and I'm always open to, I mean, I'll throw out the ideas,
2: but I'm always amazed at, you know, what other people come up with too. Yeah. I, I think it's cool. that You just talked about it that way because I, I also studied painting, right? I started as a fine arts major who dropped out and went into the Navy. So I, I didn't really follow through. But what you're saying there is for hundreds and maybe thousands of years, painters have defined their style not by the medium because they were using linseed oil, pigment, and brushes and canvas usually. What, they, what distinguished them was the kind of stroke, how much paint, You know, even Pollock, who suddenly decided splattering was more important than using a brush. So everybody's using the same tool, but they're finding a new method to do it. And that's, I think that's really exciting to watch a team or an individual member of your team discover their style or bring their style into into the shop. And that makes it a much more interesting, robust group when you get all those different styles working together. It It
1: creates a wider color palette you know a wider range of color palette and everybody brings what they're good at you know and it creates a very it could create a very powerful powerful piece
2: well and you said it before right when you think of it as a band if everybody played lead guitar the music would be very boring if everybody were on drums oh my god you know it's a drum circle so it's it's not really a band so I I love the idea of thinking of us as as band members because there are their lead guitarists, there's bass players, and you need great bass players, you know? I think there's a lot of leverage to do better work when you have people who are, are firing on all those cylinders, who are playing all those different instruments. I come from a fine art background
1: as well, painting, and so I've done a lot of public art. It's one of my favorite things to do because... You have to work with other people with public art, right? It's not just my idea. You know, I might throw out the first idea, but you're working with a community of people who have several ideas. You know, playing creative director again, you have to kind of listen to all of their ideas and give your idea and come up with a design that reflects an idea that works for everyone. With an outdoor space, it always, there's always a problem that arises and you have to be creative in solving for that, that problem. You know so like public art is something I really enjoy and I, I my approach to creating public art is is the same kind of approach
2: I have in being a creative director. The thing that I've always found interesting about the arts in general is that you either hear, oh, "I'm not very creative or it's like, you know how do we need the arts or oh I don't get it. I don't get why that's so good however, every human being can look at something and go like, "Ooh that's terrible." <laughs> oh. So, there's plenty of critics. And I think that's what separates creative talent is that, sure, everybody's taken art class and everybody's taking a composition class and they can write and they can paint. But it's that point of of knowing the difference in what's mundane or bad to uh, engaging or effusive and finding finding how to present a piece of work to get to a higher level. I think that's what separates. Uh, a good creative and a good creative department. And that's why you had talked about the the nonprofits. The nonprofits are working so hard to get their job done. They really don't have time to think through the things that we have time to think through. And as we come up with unexpected solutions that can delight people, then we, we can create those pieces that help them and, and help sell their work. Where before, you know, they're just really churning out, like, I, I know I, you know, they're doing math, basically, I, I need this many donors to get to this much money to get to this much research. So, you know, helping them by thinking outside that, those confines, I think is, is really wonderful thing that we can do as, as creative talent. Taking it all the way back around to our first question here. Nice. Perfect. All right.
1: Uh, Bart, you ready to play some rapid fire? Always. I love this game. Okay. So I have to ask, I think this is an easy one, (laughs) but you can explain why.
2: Batman or Spider-Man? Oh, Batman, 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 Okay, why? Well, first of all, Spider-Man is, you know, he's a genetic mutated freak. (laughs) The one thing I've always loved about Batman, always loved about Batman, rich or not, he's very human. Uh, Superman, untouchable. Spider-Man can throw webs around everybody. Batman has to outthink. Out fight, and sometimes he gets his back broken. I mean, there's so many conflicts in Batman that bring him to a human level. He's a broken human being. He's, something's kind of wrong with him, and yet he still triumphs over evil by fighting those things inside himself and looking for a better Gotham. I've always loved that. I still read the comics. I collect the figures. Love Batman. He always has a self-reflective...
1: Side to things, you know, and I think I think his power is also our our inventions, you know. I mean, that's his the, the utility belt, you know what he what it's he the has. Greatest detective man, you know. So and he's great. also a good detective. He's very human, like you said. So that's that's always why he's been uh, my favorite as well. Food now, pasta or pizza?
2: Oh God! Well, uh, I'm a diabetic, so neither of those is great for me. But if I'm going to cheat, if I'm going to cheat, pizza always. And if it's pizza and I can get my hands on it, Chicago style. Last one, uh, TV or film? Oh, film always. Although, although I have to admit that television in the past five years has produced some incredible content. I think that's because of the just because of the influx of things like Netflix and HBO Max and those things. Their content is well funded. And they can tell longer stories than you can in film and i think the in the context of tv if you think of it as as streaming too tv is about to give film a a run for its money I, i think of things like breaking bad which is probably the best story arc of our lifetime it is classic shakespearean you watch the bad guy become the good guy and the good guy become the bad guy And you know exactly when it happens and it's fascinating and you can't turn away. I think that was great. Um, the art, the artistry of film, the art, the auteur variety of film, I think is still something that television hasn't done yet. Art, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you.
0: Okay. Jer back. So that was definitely, um, an interesting conversation I, I thought the conversation specifically about you know the changing tech landscape what that means to folks who are creative and how they need to change the way they're creative uh was was very interesting and i think the thing that sticks with me the most was just the comment about the way people sort of consume the content right our, our messaging needs to uh, be more in line with the content they're looking for it's, it's not just an ad on a piece of content, it actually is the content itself.
1: Right, we always, you know, w- one of the first rules that I live by is as a as a designer and a creative is you always want to design around the content. You should always put content first. And mobile definitely, the mobile platform has definitely helped people do that and emphasize that. Making things look pretty is part of the puzzle, but a good designer will design around the content.
0: Right, sure, now that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, what, what do you think? Maybe are the three biggest takeaways that you know our clients and our, our listeners could could take from this?
1: Well, you know this. The interview I thought went really well. You know, we're looking forward to uh, doing more interviews with Bart. The first one was kind of a, an introduction to give some insight on what creative directors actually do. You know, and what roles they play in an agency. Um, but I think I think that's one point. The other one is how you know nonprofits can use us. They spend so much time, you know, focusing on their cause and fundraising and getting the word out on, on their cause that they don't really have time to do anything creative. Um, and you know, they can pick our brains and they, you know, we're there to help them out. The last thing would be, you know, that we are here to find creative solutions to complicated problems and problems maybe that they haven't even had the time to think about.
0: Awesome. Well, that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. If you'd like to learn more about our friends at Web Mechanics, well, you can find a little bit more about them in the description of today's episode, uh, including a link to their site at webmechanics.com. And as always, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Salsa and how we're helping clients engage and change the world with smart engagement tools, visit us at salsalabs.com. And we'll see you all next time on Tips with Salsa.